Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So as children, we learned through mirror neurons that expression of, is mom's face friendly? Is dad approachable? You know, as we look up for what we need. And if they're sort of zoned out, high, not available, sleeping on the couch, there's this, I suppose, loss of trust, this place of, I'm not so sure you're going to be there for me. And so a lot of the times, children of addicts become very efficient, effective, you know, push through kind of adults, because there's a part of them that believes if, if it's not going to be me, I can't count on anybody else to do it. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us 
and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, do you suffer from depression? Symptoms of depression are not always obvious. You might feel constantly tired. You might be low in energy, low in motivation. You might have constant feelings of anxiety or worry, feelings of sadness or feeling constantly guilty about everything. If this sounds like you, take a look at Destroy Depression. It's a treatment plan that works regardless of your symptoms or your age. It's a totally drug-free, straightforward plan that explains everything you need to know about eliminating depression step by step. Destroy Depression helps you dominate your depression. It helps you take back control over your symptoms and it comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Click the link in the show notes to find out more about how Destroy Depression can help you because you really do deserve to live your life free from the symptoms of depression. Hey, my beautiful friends, I hope you're really well. This week, we are talking about a fascinating topic, epigenetics. Have you heard of it? It's the study of the impact that trauma has on our genetics. So it's how the impact of trauma on our parents and grandparents and beyond affects us today through our genetics. When we have traumatic experiences, that trauma can leave a chemical mark on a person's genes, which can then be passed down to future generations. It's not a genetic mutation, but it alters the way that that gene is expressed. And that alteration is not genetic, it's epigenetic. So not only do parents pass down their DNA, it's what happened to them and the effect of those experiences on their DNA that is passed down to us. Joanna Lynn works in the emerging field of epigenetics and she is really passionate about understanding what parents share with their children through that combination of DNA and trauma. And later in this episode, you're going to hear Joanna talk about how she helps people in a totally different way to talk therapy. Joanna creates what she calls a three-generation genogram. She builds like a full family tree, not a tree with names. It's a tree showing where relationships got tangled. Mum's relationship with her mum. If mum and dad got a divorce, how many siblings you have. So there's all these clues inside the family tree as to why you might be struggling with what you're struggling with. It's fascinating. And if this resonates, please reach out to Joanna. Her contact details are in the show notes. Please join me now for my chat with Joanna Lynn. Joanna, welcome. You are the founder of the Family Imprint Institute. You have studied Ericksonian hypnotherapy, family constellations, integrative body psychotherapy, 
inherited family trauma amongst many other things from what I can see and you are helping your clients to release painful childhood experiences strengthen relationships and release depression anxiety and stress you work with the emerging science of epigenetics which helps to explain why our family lives on within us like an emotional inheritance you have a fascination with what parents share with their children through their dna and trauma this is a very exciting conversation to be having because i don't know too much about epigenetics i want to hear a little bit about your story but first could you explain to us what is epigenetics absolutely i love to give a computer metaphor this idea that none of us are born with a clear hard drive we share an operating system with our mom, our dad, our grandparents. And so the idea with epigenetics is scientifically proven that we are imprinted right at the level of our DNA with things that have gone unresolved. And sometimes it's a trauma, it's something that really is life-changing, and other times it can just be like, unresolved anger or resentment that's built up over the years this too impacts what is shared with our children and our grandchildren and so epigenetics shows we might live feeling like well this is just how my life goes you know my relationships don't go very well or i never really have enough money whatever that might be and we just sort of accept that this is my life but the truth is when we start to look at the full family tree we're seeing why we might feel that way we were born with it but it doesn't necessarily mean it belongs with us and so i joke that i'm a little bit more like a detective than i am say a coach or a therapist because i'm finding that why you're stuck why relationships always feel this way no matter who's on the other side of them to really get to the heart of the matter right to the root cause yeah wow that's that's amazing yeah. isn't it so so it's really about how trauma changes our DNA. Yes, very succinctly said. That's it exactly. Okay. So, yeah, I think we all think that we we have this imprint and that's it. Now we understand mm -hmm. that what has happened to our parents and grandparents changes that. So therefore the the whole argument about nature versus nurture it's really made a bit redundant by this isn't it because it's it's got to show that it's both of those things i'd have to say yes you know there's this amazing scientist researcher her name is rachel yehuda she is a descendant of holocaust survivors and so much of the research that she does looks at this nature nurture conversation and for me i love to stay as close to the science as i can and it just makes sense that if we're born with feelings that don't belong to us this is a part of not necessarily what was modeled or how we were raised but a part of simply what is shared within that family line. And the other part of my practice that I lean on really heavily is neuroscience. And saying thank goodness for what we've learned there about how we can change, what is really behind transformation and really shifting some of those stuck points in our lives. And it goes all the way back to something called Hebb's Law, that what, what, what wires, like what a thought that we keep thinking just keeps repeating. So if we're in that place, what wires together, fires together. So if we keep thinking to ourselves, it'll always be this way. I've always had money troubles or I've always been left alone in love. 
Well, that is firing, in a sense, how our brain is connecting the stresses that we're going through. And so this work is all about getting underneath that, almost, you know, what came before that so that we can finally resolve it. So just taking a look back at your life, I know that when your mum was pregnant with you, her best friend lost her baby. Can you explain the impact that that event had on you in utero? Yeah, so this wasn't something I learned until after I'd taken these studies and, of course, came back to my parents with all these family history kind of questions. And it made a lot of sense from the perspective of how I was parented from a mom who's, I would say, pretty overprotective, pretty concerned. A lot of the what-if thinking would kind of run away with her. What if this happened? What if that? And it gave me a lot more compassion for her around, you know, her very best friend just before she gets pregnant with me, loses her child. And the amount of, you know, I think sometimes when we're pregnant, we just think, oh, the miracle has happened. Here we go. You know, we're, we're so excited. We don't think that could even happen because it hasn't happened in our friendships, in our sphere of influence. And so it was such a huge impact of, oh, if it could happen to her, what if? I would lose my child. What if the worst thing imaginable for a parent could happen? And so I think it created the pathway for a lot of concern of loss, death, so that what if the worst were to happen? And I should add to that that in my own mom's family, her mother lost a sibling, sadly was run over by sibling's father in the driveway. So this feeling of the worst could happen, another child lost. And so there's this echo that lives inside those people that have had experiences with such deep traumatic loss. It impacts the way we parent. Yeah. And so the impact of that is really just how it is expressed to you and how do you take that on as a child then? Are you then a really kind of worried, anxious child? Well, it's very interesting the way it goes. So I would describe my sister as much more anxious and kind of wired up with that sort of hypervigilant style of personality, where I seem to go the other way. And so again, there's that big question, well, why did one go, one sibling go one way and the other seemingly the opposite? And yet that is what happened. And so that's one of the great mysteries of, of how any of us get to be the way we are. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, it's always hard to sort of get your head around how people in the same family can turn out so differently. But everybody in a family has a slightly different set of DNA anyway, right? Yeah, so what's interesting about systemic theory, that's what this style of work is called. We're looking at not the individual that might be looking for therapy, we're looking at the whole system. So in this systemic approach, we're really wanting to understand where the trauma traveled to. And so often I, I sort of joke that the siblings are like one, you know, we're all sharing the same pie, but we're all a different slice. And so we're carrying different aspects of, you know, okay, that belongs over there with mom and that belongs over there with dad. And sometimes there are, you know, five, six, seven siblings in these larger families and some of the later children, some of the younger ones, can actually carry more for the grandparents. So you start to 
follow that trend and who's carrying what from who. And my special training is to follow how that's revealed through language. So how people describe their challenges, what they're up against, what their triggers are, this actually reveals all that I need to see from what lives in the family system. So I listen very carefully about how they're describing what, what they're challenged with today, and it reveals so much about that historical context. Yeah. When you're a child with two parents, are you getting 50% from each but it's a different combination of their dna so that you know like i i might get a different combination of 50 percent of each parent is that how it works to my to a sibling yes and so what i've noticed in my years in this work is typically it can follow gender and so daughters are more likely to carry from their mom and sons are more likely to carry from their father. Now, my husband and I have an only child. He's a son, so bummer for him. He's going to get a double dump of what's unresolved for his, from his dad and I, regardless of gender. So only children have a little bit of a different um, systemic weight than if it's shared across multiple siblings. So what I love about this work is it's also individual. There are no hard and fast rules. There are no formulaic approaches. I'm working with each person with a fresh brand new slate and using a lot of the systemic principles as guidelines, I suppose, but not as that sort of prescription and in which way to take it. It's all very individual. Yeah. So what else in your childhood would have impacted your development? So a big, big part of what I look at is something that we call in this work a break in the bond. And if any of your listeners want to look up one of the most famous psychological experiments, it's called the still face experiment. It's maybe just five or six minutes on YouTube, but it is fascinating. So as the name of the study would reveal, the mom sort of has a still, still face and baby's response tells us everything we need to know. So that early disruption in attunement we call it attachment sciences that are we securely attached are we insecurely attached all of this has to do with those first five years of life so for example did mom have to go right back to work and were you know shipped off to daycare we may have had all of our needs cared for and we have a lovely social group of other babies but at that developmental stage we really need mom's smell, her voice, her connection. It builds our brain very differently. Maybe mom had postpartum depression and through no fault of her own, she's kind of thrown into a hormonal cascade of you know, complications and she just isn't able to be there for you. Or mom and dad are divorcing or gosh, dad's parents get a really scary diagnosis and everybody's kind of thrown into the medical waiting game with a lot of stress and concern. Perhaps the sibling after or before you dies in a very awful, tragic way. There are all kinds of, I suppose, everyday life kinds of things that can pull away that attachment, that deep sense of parent-child bond that can mess with our own self-confidence, our own trust in life. That's really interesting, though, when you said that it's about the mother's smell and having the mother around because you just don't realise the impact of 
of these simple things to a child because, you know, many children have to be cared for by others, don't they, in those early months of life because of whatever is going on. What what could a, a mother that has to put her child into the care of another person, what can they do to minimise the impacts Such a great question. You know, I'm a working mom. I always have been due to necessity. And I'm sure many of your listeners are in that boat. And so a very renowned, respected psychologist have talked about it is not about the time apart as much as it's about the repair. So can we as moms really put a focus on, okay, sweetie, now you're going to go play at grandma's or we're dropping you off at daycare and, you know, I'm going to be eating lunch, thinking about you and just can't wait until I pick you up at the end of the day. What do you want to do, you know, after school today? And so there's this reconnection. And so that when we do have that time where we pick them up, there's special focus so that it's more about quality than quantity, that we're just so happy to see them. We give them that embrace. There's these moments where we don't just rush into making the dinner or these activities of life can fill the time, but we're sort of carving out a place where we're eye to eye. We're giving that quality time to connect, to make up for that time apart. We're filling that attachment cup to make sure it doesn't get lost in all the busyness of life. And the most important thing, you know, can fall away. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? To get that balance. Yeah. You know, there's so much about you should do this and you shouldn't do that. But in the end, it's just finding a balance where the child is connected and loved even right. through all of those other challenges. So mm-hmm. if, for example, if a parent is, you know, an addict or something like that, mm-hmm. what is the impact of that on a child growing up? And so a lot of, well, I guess I'll lean back on mirror neurons. So as children, we learn through mirror neurons that expression of, is mom's face friendly? Is dad approachable? You know, as we look up for what we need. And if they're sort of zoned out, high, not available, sleeping on the couch, there's this, I suppose, loss of trust, this place of, I'm not so sure you're going to be there for me. And so a lot of the times, children of addicts become very efficient, effective, you know, push through kind of adults, because there's a part of them that believes if if it's not going to be me, I can't count on anybody else to do it. And so this can be at the heart of a lot of, you know, burnout symptoms, you know, pushing ourselves beyond not listening to the, the slowdown cues of the body. And it can also, you know, it's almost like we we bump right into living life like a parent. We can also fall into addictive patterns, even though that's what hurt us most about our parent. It depends if we've come to a place of resolving that hurt or not. If we still hold a lot of bitterness, hurt, anger with our parent, we're actually more likely to pick up what we judge in them. And if we had said, oh gosh, you know, no wonder mom was drinking all the time. She lost her mom as a baby. She never recovered from that. Or, you know, whatever that context might be where we're coming from a place of understanding instead of hurt and resentment. Yeah, absolutely. And that can take a long time, right? It's obviously, it's not something that we often even look for when we're younger. We're just 
sort of sitting in that place of feeling rejection or whatever it is. And so I know that when you graduated high school, you moved away from your family. What was that like for you to move away from your family at that age? Well, I think at first it actually felt very liberating. It felt like something I needed to do. I think there was this idea that if I got away from the expectations and, and some of those pressures that it was somehow life would be easier. A big shock for me at the time was wherever you go, you know, they come with you. I know now in this work, my parents are literally a part of me, you know, chromosomally, biologically. I'm half my mom and I'm half my dad. And so now the expectations are coming from myself instead of from them. You know, the high ideas of what I should or could be doing comes from inside versus from the outside. And so no matter how far away I might have moved, some of those challenges or the things that needed to be talked about still did need to be addressed. And it was a beautiful journey for me to be able to find some of the sort of the healing work and, and that sort of path that I stepped into because a lot of the healing that we do with our family really starts from inside. I think we have this idea that if we just sit down and put it all out there and just tell them how we really feel, it'll somehow sort itself out. And that is not the way to go about it. You know, we've got to own our own part look at our own, you know, piece of it and do our own internal work often so that we can show up to that relationship without the hurt, without the resentment and understand our our piece of it. And I guess often we have to be prepared that your parents are not going to actually want to discuss these things or whatever. Like sometimes yeah. we just have to realise that it, we just have to move on and then they're not going to be able to see or want to look at their part in any any of this. That's it. I think it's a very safe bet to imagine your parents probably aren't going to change too much. And so what we can do is sort of recognize I've been carrying around this backpack of resentment, hurt, or my side of the story, and what do I need to do to sort of ugh, free myself from that backpack and I had a teacher once say to me, you know, you're the one in therapy. You're the one in these courses and reading these books. And so you do the change. And, and for me, it felt very empowering that I'm not waiting for somebody to have the big conversation or, or have them understand that it's, it's okay if it, it doesn't go that way, that it's enough for me to make the changes. And I have my life open up. I'm less likely to repeat those painful patterns. My relationships are going to be healthy. And so it's well worth the, the effort to do that, that deeper work. Yeah. So when you left home and you obviously were moving into various different types of relationships, how did you see the effect of epigenetics showing up in your relationships? Mm. It wasn't until years after, as they say, hindsight is everything, right? When we look back, but I would say my first marriage, the dynamics were very like a roller coaster up and down. And a lot of what would be our tension points were a lot of the things that I hadn't resolved with my mom. And so that here they were, they were kind of living out in this 
I suppose it was about a 10 year marriage by the time it, we divorced. And so what I've learned now in, in my studies is what's unresolved with our mom almost acts like the template. You know, our mom is our first love. She's like our love blueprint. And what's unresolved with her finds its way into our most intimate relationships. Those ones where, you know, our heart is on our sleeve, where that person means so much to us. And what I've learned over and over again in, in my own life and in the clients that I work with, we fall in love with what's familiar, not necessarily what's healthy or even what's on the, the list of the, our, our dream spouse. We, we fall for what's familiar as a way to sort all this stuff out. And that's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I just hear this over and over from people that they're just going from those toxic patterns in parents to exactly the same thing in relationships. And you would mm -hmm. think that something in us would would enable us to break through that and actually go for something else, but it just doesn't seem to work that way, does it? It's true. Until we do the deeper work, that's what I was kind of referring to. What is my part? Like, why is that familiar to me? Maybe I have to heal this piece with my dad where I feel still angry with him for, I don't know, choosing work over coming to my recital or my mom for being hypercritical to start to do that deeper understanding, that, that resolution there. It just ends up on repeat otherwise. You know, if we felt our dad was a, a super authoritarian father, it seems we end up as a bully. We've got a bully as a boss, no matter where we're working. So it's not just in our intimate relationships. It's our profession, our friendships. It, it's almost just, it, it finds its way to live itself out again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Absolutely. And so when did you have your first realization of the impacts that epigenetics was having on your life? It was when I crossed paths with who turned out to be most, my most influential teacher. It was a, a workshop in Montreal, all about this work and really understanding the impact of my early years the complicated relationship I had with my mom. And it was one of those moments where, oh, this just makes so much sense. You know, I happened to be working at a, a medical clinic with, with two physicians who really understood the mind-body connection. At that time, I was doing clinical hypnotherapy. And they would invite me into these really intense medical situations where I felt, oof, I'm not sure I've got the tools for this. 
And, you know, I crossed paths with this teacher at the ideal time to start to learn about family, how it impacts our health and well-being, our ability to recover. And so then I spent years studying this, this philosophy and implementing it into how I work with clients. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I know hypnotherapy changes. It's definitely powerful in changing the way people think. What is that actually doing compared with getting to that deeper sort of epigenetic level of change? Mm, Good question. Clinical hypnotherapy is wonderful for accessing that deeper subconscious mind where so many of our thoughts, feelings, emotions really originate. But until I found for me anyway, until I started to bring in that whole family tree, that whole element where I'm not just looking at the client and their personal, I guess, struggles or challenges, but within the context of the whole family, that really the results started to come in with the with the services I was able to offer. So bringing in, you know, where the anxiety originated or how do we resolve some of these symptoms, some of the ways our body is talking to us and putting it in the context of the full family imprint and then things could really change. And I guess, gosh, that's already been 13 years ago by now. And so to me, it's like, there's no going back. It's almost the only way I can see things now is through this sort of lens of understanding the larger context. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so I know that when we're babies, we can have experiences that we don't even remember as adults, but but it can still have a huge impact on us, can't it? Yes. And so in my work, I call it the body memory. So a part of the brain called the hippocampus is what stores and organizes our memory. Well, it doesn't really fully come online until about the age of three or four, depending on our developmental circumstances. And so all the things that happened in utero, as an infant, as a toddler, it sort of just gets laid down in the body like a body memory. We don't consciously remember it, but our body sort of keeps score. And so if there was birth trauma, if I don't know, we're, you know, we're playing with blocks on the kitchen floor and mom and dad are arguing about money. And so some of these early ideas of, you know, money is just bad. I don't want to have anything to do with money. Well, where does that come from? Well, money makes mommy and daddy fight, you know, all the way back to something we don't consciously remember. And so that's the part of my studies around body-centered psychotherapy to understand how do we actually move this up and out of the body? How do we metabolize where it's been stored? Because for so many of us, it's an unconscious reference point. We don't know why we go back to that. We might not consciously want that. And yet that's where we return to because it's known. And so all of that early stuff that happens is laid down in the body. We've got to find a way to access it. Yeah. That's fascinating. And and when you said even having a traumatic birth, because some women are in labor for hours, that baby is in stress and they're even going to hold on to that trauma somewhere in their body. Yes, that's right. And so it's amazing when I've worked with moms who knew, you know, oh, my daughter, she's got these behaviors that are challenging and I'll ask about the birth. 
And so as young as five or six years of age, it's amazing. I'll teach the moms how to unwind what's going on in their child's body by just being able to do something as simple as, you know, hold your six-year-old and rock her and say, you know, a little bit of the, the child level story, like you were trying to come down, you were trying to be born, and there were all of these stressors around, and there were something going on with mommy's body, and then the doctor had to come in and help, and we're just so glad you were born healthy, but I think there were some scary moments in there for you. And this little six-year-old, she just looked up and her, her eyes are filled with tears. And there's this, mommy understands, mommy gets it. And so now it doesn't have to come out and through in the child's behaviors. We're, we're meeting that initial separation, that maybe even initial loss of connection because of the stress response was so high. And we're giving voice to it. We're, we're letting our children know we understand so this doesn't have to be a lifelong thing or even something that a therapist has to do for your child. I like to guide parents because they're the best, you know, therapist or guide for their own child. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, you just don't have any idea of the impact of these things. And <laughs> when you see little kids acting out, there's always so much going on there, but the old way has always been just shut them down and, yeah. It's always just been that's bad behavior. You know, I just love yes. that we are learning to understand that we have to look deeper. Why is a child doing this? No child is going crazy for no reason, right? I mean, it's exactly there's, there's always a reason, and it's just changing the way we think about that because I mean, I was even. I was even on Twitter this morning, I put something out there about we should never force children to eat. And mm -hmm. I've got this barrage of people talking about how they were forced to sit at the table until 2 a.m. in the morning and mm -hmm. they were vomiting. I mean, it's just out of control. And then there were quite a lot of people saying, no, children need to learn that they have to do what they're told. And it's like, these are the things we need mm -hmm. to change. These are the things that we need to change. It's such old conditioned ideas and thinking, isn't it, that we really have to educate oh. people through that because it's just heartbreaking when you see the effects on adults of what they've gone through as little kids. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, the roots of forcing something as, as natural as my own hunger or when I'm full or the, the right to leave the table when I'm full, this is the root of all kinds of eating disorders, of all kinds of control and tightness around our lifelong relationship with food. And so I think a lot of people confuse the sort of attuned style of parenting I talk about with just, oh, let them do whatever, you know, with no boundaries at all. And, and that's not at all what I'm saying. But it's almost like the previous style of parenting was just making our children listen instead of realizing these are growing, insightful, lovely little human beings with their own preferences, their own hunger responses, you know, and we need to treat them as such. Yeah, absolutely. Because as soon as you say something, everybody's like, oh, what are you going to do? Let them do whatever they want. No, it's just a balance. It's a balance. And there's always a beautiful, amazing, balanced 
answer to everything. It's not this yeah. and it's not that. It's it's just this beautiful. Ah, it's just this beautiful way right in the middle. I wanted to ask you about genetic markers from diseases like cancer. Can can those things be changed through epigenetics? The missing piece about cancer running in a family is also what else is shared in that family. Things like the food choices that we make. Are we a sedentary family? Do we do a lot of exercise? Do we have a lot of negative self-talk, judgments, criticisms outside? Where is our thinking around health and longevity and how we take care of ourselves? And so more often it's these traits within the family that may have a disease live through different generations. There's an amazing biology of belief that talks about less than 5% of diseases are actually completely only genetic. And so it's epigenetics that helps us to understand the actual environment of our body either turns these epigenetic markers on or off. So am I living in a constant state of stress, pushing through? Am I in a marriage that I don't feel fulfilling? This is going to create a very different body environment than let's say someone who's happily married, parenting with joy, living in a, in a work or living with work that they find so joyful and happy. This is a very different body system that will turn different genes on and off. Wow. That's incredible. That is amazing. So I'm assuming then also that the potential of our DNA then is that we can change so many more things to positive by having really, because we're talking about trauma, but obviously if you're in a family where all of a sudden it's incredibly positive, that's going to change your DNA as well. I think what's most important to add to this, and I'm glad you sort of shared that, is how we end up making sense of our path. We have a parent that went through a lot of trauma, a lot of difficulty. Have they done the work of making sense of it? That will change what is passed on or not to us. So I'll often encourage my clients, the work that you're doing to heal this, you're passing it on to your children and your grandchildren. So the, I guess, acceptance and some level of peace with some of the things that happened so that we're not just passing along that stress response. Yeah, I love that actually. So what you make sense of, you pass that on. I really love that. So what are the best things that a parent can do to raise a happy, healthy child? They've got to really look into their own history. They've got to really have a lot of awareness then around their own behaviors. I really think the best thing we can do is do our own work. So what's revealed, how do we begin to heal that? How do we build our own resilience to know that we also pass on our resilience and our strength to our kids? And so the less overwhelmed, the less stressed, the less triggered we are because we've We've completed those things. We've really resolved those. It also helps us in being more present, more patient parents. And so it's a bit of a double win there. Yeah. How do you feel that epigenetics has changed your life, like compared with 
say your first marriage to where you're at now, how much of a difference has it made to your life having this knowledge? It's honestly been a night and day difference. And my new marriage is, and like anyone's marriage, there are there are ups and downs, there are you know conflicts and challenges, of course, but it's how those challenges are approached. And so an example of that is my husband and I have different relating styles. So if something goes wrong, I want to speak about it right away. And he would prefer to pull back, think it over, you know, we'll talk about it maybe in a couple days. And so anyone can understand the kind of friction that that causes. And so I think my understanding of epigenetics, right away, I learned not to take that personally, to simply recognize this is different relating styles. And then when I get really frustrated, when it's really important to me to talk it out, I can hold him in the context and imagine his parents behind him so that there's understanding that it's not just him shutting me out is what it feels like in the moment, yet he is caught up in where he felt inundated by his mom's needs, where he felt overly criticized by his father. And so all of this is going on in the in sort of the heat of the moment of our own situation. And that my ability to recognize that and understand that just gives that space and calm. And sure, we can come back and talk about it in a couple of days once we both had a, our chance to think it through. And I think the biggest healing movement for many couples is this reflection of why is this so hurtful to me? Like, what am I making this mean? Whatever it was that happened. And I'm going to say nine times out of 10, that has everything to do with an early life injury around, gosh, I didn't feel like my dad listened to me or gosh, I never felt like I got enough of my mom's love and attention. And here it is replaying again in my relationship. So if we can press pause and each kind of go into our own spaces for a couple of days, I can typically do a lot of my own work around that piece, which I truly believe that's the higher reason to be in relationship. You know, we, we learn so much about ourselves by what our other partner might trigger in us. And we, we, we just wouldn't come across that on our own. You know, we wouldn't get, we wouldn't get our buttons pushed in the same way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And can you, we, we uh, touched on stuck points earlier. Can you just explain what stuck points are? Yeah, I think it can even be something as simple as ways of thinking that it's almost, you know, we're on repeat around, am I good enough? Did I do a good enough job? What does so-and-so think? Where we're, we're losing parts of our own choices, our own choice point, because we're out there concerned about what the other person would think. And so we might get stuck in a certain way of thinking. I think a classic stuck point is a habit. Anything we wish we could be free of, but we can't seem to let go of the smoking, the drinking, the chocolate cake, whatever it is, even though we know, oh, this is not, this is not doing anything good for me, but we're still stuck in it. And so the roots of those stuck points often live in our family tree. Yeah, absolutely. And so what role does attachment play in the healthy development of our children? Oh, it's such a cornerstone. You know, attachment is this deeper piece around no matter what happens, I feel like my parents would have my back. You know, that's sort of the gold secure attachment level. And 
I would say not many of us have that unequivocal belief because of certain emotional injuries that have happened along the way. And so this is where disorganized attachment comes from when you gave that example earlier about being raised by a parent who's struggling with addiction. Often the other side of that, the child grows up to be a disorganized, attached person. And so attachment is all about, can I trust love the way it comes to me? from my parents? Can I not only trust their words, but trust that they've got my back, trust that they're making decisions that are in my best interest? And so as we know, as adults, life is complicated. Raising children is, there's a lot going on. And we want our children to know that we're their highest cheerleader, that, you know, if someone wants to drive them home drunk, they can call us at four in the morning and we're just going to come and pick them up. That, you know, that is that strongest level of no matter what, sweetie, I've got your back. And those of us who didn't get that, and we need a little bit of internal work to make sure we're not recreating that in our current life situations. Yeah, and it's so true, isn't it? Because you can have so much going on in a family, in relationships, but if your kids know that you've got their back, I mean, that's everything. And yeah, it's so clear when you say that how important it is. If you notice behaviors in your children that trigger you, Mm. what are some tips to deal with that? Mm. That is such an important question because If we started to look at our children's behaviors almost as guideposts to show us what's unresolved in us, parenting could revolutionarily change. And I'd love to see that happen because our children express what is sort of unresolved in us or what might be a problem in, you know, in the marriage, in their, in their two parents. And so whenever parents call and say, oh my gosh, I've got this and this going on in my child's behavior. My first question is, when can you and their other parent come in for a session? You know, I work with, with family history. I need to understand the full context and the understanding that if we're triggered by something that our child is doing, first of all, before we respond to the child's behavior, imagine pressing pause on that and just taking a moment for you, even if it's 10 minutes to just excuse yourself and to ask that question, what does this remind me of? What's going on here that feels so triggering or so close to the edge that's causing that friction? And what do I need to do? What is this pointing me to look at? And then we can respond with a more fullness to our children to sort of redirect that behavior that we certainly don't want them to pick up and continue that was so painful in us. Oh, yes. I mean, that just that one thing could be life-changing, couldn't it, for a family? Just for parents when they're triggered just to stop and really look at that. It's, It's incredibly powerful. How has everything that you've learnt about epigenetics, how's that affected the way that you've raised your own son? I think I'm a much softer and understanding parent with this knowledge. And and, and don't get me wrong, I have my days where I'm tired or overwhelmed and, you know, there'll be something that'll be snapped at. But there's a place around that repair. 
So we're never gonna be perfect parents, even those of us who know all this stuff, but the importance of repair. And so to be able to go back to my son and say, that must've been really hard for you when I you know, slammed the kitchen door or whatever. I was really dealing with grown-up stuff. You know, I was late for something or I missed something important and I certainly didn't mean to take it out on you. So notice, this is a bit of a piece that I teach my clients, notice I didn't say, I'm sorry. When we go back to our children saying, I'm sorry, in a way we're emotionally asking them to take care of us. The language of it must have been so hard for you when is me as a parent taking full responsibility for losing my temper, for being impatient, for whatever it was, and not asking them, even in my language, to take care of my emotions or for them to say, it's okay, mommy, when actually we both know it isn't. Yeah. Wow. That's, mm, that's, that's a very interesting realization. Actually saying sorry is going to make them feel like they have to take care of you. That's oh, That's a big light bulb moment for me. <laughs> well, we're um, also quick to say, I'm sorry. It's just, yes. it's a part of our language, isn't it? Absolutely. We don't even think about, yeah. And you, you feel like you're doing the right thing when you're apologizing, but I hadn't ever really thought of it that way. So, wow, that's that's incredible. Joanna, can you give us a bit of a rundown on how you are able to help people, what you are offering and where we can find you? Oh, yeah. And so maybe if, it's, if it isn't sort of clear by now, this is very different the way that I work with people than talk therapy. And so what you would come to expect if you decided to check out this sort of systemic look at your life and your relationship and parenting is to start off with a three-generation geneogram. So I build the full family tree and not the names of who's who, but where relationships got tangled up. So very curious about mom's relationship with her mom. If mom and dad got a divorce or stayed together, how many siblings you have. So there's all of these clues inside the family tree as to why you might be struggling with what you're struggling with. And so the first session is two hours. So part of it is dealing with that three generation geneogram, gathering all that good information. And then we move right into resolution. The thing I hear most often is people will say, oh my gosh, I've been in therapy for like 10 years and we did more in this session because it's right to the heart of the matter. It's kind of aha moments are happening all over the place. We're making these deeper connections. I also have groups that are, are very much specific for women actually that are about you know 10 to 12 women that we get together and it's doing this work in an experiential way and learning from each other because we're all so much more alike than, than we are different. There's so much we can learn from others in this group setting and it, the work takes on a very dynamic form that way. I also run once a year a training for clinicians, so therapists, coaches, anybody that works with people on the front line that really want to bring this systemic approach in as another tool, another way of really supporting their clients. And so you can learn more about my work at www.joannalynn.ca and you can find me on social media under the Family Imprint Institute. Please go and find Joanna this just sounds incredible. What did you call it? A three level? Oh, three generation geneogram. 
Yeah, that sounds incredible. I love that so much. Joanna, this has been incredibly enlightening today. It's a huge piece of the puzzle, isn't it? That's only Mm. really fairly recently come to light. It's fascinating to hear that our DNA can be changed in this way. Thank you so much for sharing your story and all of your wisdom. It's been really wonderful connecting with you. Oh, well, thank you, Dawn. I've really liked our time together. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.